Welcome to the Horsewise podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's special Christmas Eve episode, I'm talking with two of my favorite horsemanship teachers, Alicia Landman and Brooke Tatro. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi, everyone. I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. Tonight on this Christmas Eve episode, I'm sharing an interview with two of my favorite horsewomen and horsemanship teachers, Alicia Lamon and Brooke Tatro. We got together and talked about a week ago, and we had so much fun. And so please excuse some of our laughter and also the sound of puppies in the background. Brooke's puppies really wanted to be part of the interview. Enjoy the show. Well, hey, Brooke and Alicia, thanks for coming back on the podcast. We really appreciate you like just taking some time right before the holidays to visit. And I can't wait to talk to you. It's been a long time since I've had both of you together on the Zoom. So it's really just great to see you. So happy holidays and thanks for being here. Happy yeah, holidays. happy holidays. <laughs> yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Well, we were talking right before I hit the record button here, and the topic we thought would be sort of fun to talk about would be this idea of how to prepare yourself if you're going someplace new with your horse, whether it's a clinic or going to school at a show or going to do something, you know, maybe in a different environment that's going to have a lot of the horses around. And I think what's really easy for most people to do is to have these really great intentions. And then when you get there, you just, you get nervous and then you're worried about your horse and then your horse gets nervous. And then there's like this endlessly seamless, vicious circle that's really hard to figure out like how to interrupt that. Or if you've had that experience, you dread then going any place or doing something different and you avoid that, which is pretty much a guarantee that both you and your horse will have increased tension the next time you have to do something. At some point, you might have to go to the vet or you might have to go do something. So that can also be a vicious circle, too, where you can fall into the trap of thinking, well, if we just do everything safe and never expand, that that will somehow keep things quiet. And of course, there's really no such thing as stasis, you know, either you guys are kind of growing and expanding or you're kind of contracting even if you don't mean to. So I'd love to hear you guys thoughts on that topic. Yeah. Well, I, I, something that comes to my mind is um, Brooke came um, here to, I hosted her to teach a clinic. And, um, and so a lot of the friends in this area that wanted to ride with her got the opportunity and, and there was that, um, you know, mindset with a couple of people like, Oh, I don't know if I'll be ready. And I don't know. I don't, you know, and I'm like, no, listen, if my biggest thing is if you are picking from the right people to learn from, you will, you will always be okay because anybody who is of the mindset of helping the horse, um, and the person is going to set it up so that they, they, yeah, they're going to be pushed a little bit and they're going to have to be stretched with the things that they maybe don't understand yet but you're kind of in that circle of trust where you're not going to be pushed to a place of humiliation or complete discomfort or just feeling like an epic loser you know and so um so i do think it's important for the person who has a horse at home that 
um, wants to get out more and wants to stretch themselves and start, you know, having a, a better um, a sense of freedom that they can go places that the person that's helping you at home is very much of that mindset so that you're not feeling overwhelmed. And then the people you go out and search and learn from are kind of in that same school of thought and then things work out really well. I agree. And um, now I would say Brooke is scary having uh, taken, <laughs> taken lessons from yeah. myself, a clinic. She is a fairly terrifying person. So <laughs> I, I understand right off the bat. Um, so right now, uh, we're on the Zoom here, and uh, Brooke's adorable puppy just wandered onto the screen. So uh, if everyone who's going to be listening to this later, this we're going to be distracted by this because the puppy's adorable. So <laughs> be prepared, horse-wise listeners, to hear me occasionally going, oh, the puppy's so cute. But yeah, I think, I think actually that's a really great point that you bring up. Pick the right people to learn from, because if there is this sense from the person maybe that works with you at home that it's kind of do or die that's something that is not super helpful. And then, or if you go to somebody to learn like in a clinic setting and there's sort of a reign of terror tone that is set for whatever reason, that's also not super helpful either. Now that doesn't mean you won't be pushed, but there's a difference between like you were saying, Alicia, that being done supportively by an outside teacher or clinician or it being done uh, non-supportively, which I, I think most people instinctively know the difference, you know, if they've been through those things. Um, and I know you both teach clinics, so you see this, people coming in maybe that you have met for the first time, um, you don't know their horses, they don't know you, maybe they're familiar with the type of horsemanship approach philosophy that you have, maybe not so much. And so, Brooke, I know you teach a lot of clinics. We've hosted you here in Texas. And Alicia, you teach them too, I know. But just asking Brooke first, since I've seen her teach and I've seen her deal with people who are brand new to her, brand new a little bit to the philosophy, how do you set an environment where it might be easier for someone who's you know, unfamiliar with you and the approach you might have? Well, I mean, first off, I... I think it's normal to be nervous a little bit, right? When you haven't maybe, you know, been to a lot of clinics or been to a lot of places where you have to ride in front of everybody and get be taught in front of people too. I mean, that can be intimidating. So I, I think, you know, um, like it's a little normal to maybe be a little nervous, you know, sometimes I still get a tiny bit nervous the first day when I go to ride with Buck and I don't know why, like, I'm not scared of the guy or, you know, like scared of falling off or anything like that. It's just, I think, I don't know, it's excitement and, and nerves and just, you know, but, you know, so I just don't, I, I think that people I want them to know it's okay if you're a little nervous and, um, you know, as we get rolling, hopefully you'll just kind of settle in and get comfortable. And, um, you know, I just try to, yeah, just talk to people. Oh my gosh. And see where, you know, see where we can start, where they're, what they're comfortable doing and just try to talk to them and kind of see what's going on. And, but yeah, I, you know, and just remind people that they're, 
you know, you're here to learn. This isn't like a horse show or something, you know, like nobody expects you to be able to do all these things or do everything well or know everything. Like, you know, you really are coming here to to learn new skills or get help with things. And so, um, you know, the teacher expects you to, you know, expects that there'll be issues and things to work on. And um, so I think a lot of people go get nervous thinking like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do all of this well, and I'm not going to look good doing it. And everybody's watching and, you know, but I mean, that's really why you're there. And, um, you know, if you ride horses long enough, I think you learn that um, things are always a little ugly before they're pretty, <laughs> you know, and so you kind of get okay with that whole situation, knowing that like, okay, it's not going to look awesome the first couple times I try these new things, but that's just, you know, how it goes. So, you know, just, and just trying to be kind and nice and not intimidating and, yeah. you know, um, you know, just any, like you would in any situation, I guess, if you were trying to teach people, because no matter what you're trying to teach, if it's horses or whatever, you know, it's hard to teach people when they're, when they're intimidated or, or, or feel like they're being talked down to or, or anything like that, you know, that doesn't set up a very good learning environment, just like it doesn't for the horses. Right. You know, so yeah, I'm just trying to be, you know, kind and, and open and humble and all those things. I think you bring up a good point too, about how even you get nervous or excited and part of stretching yourself is you're doing something a little unfamiliar, even if you're a professional or if, it, if it's even if it's familiar, it's just it's your favorite teacher. It's a big clinic. It's fun to do. And you get this sort of uh, even as a professional, this sort of anticipation of, oh, this is really great. And if you're coming into a learning environment, a new environment, and you're so completely non-responsive, it might not be a big enough push for you because there has to be a little bit of growth, a little bit of comfort being on the line of the comfort zone, not way over it for you and your horse, for you and your horse to learn. So I interviewed Dr. Stephen Peters, uh, gosh, I think it was last year, you know, evidence-based horsemanship. And he was talking about horses growing dendrites. So if, and people do this too, obviously, if we don't learn more, if we don't expand our capacity, we don't grow new dendrites. And then we basically start to atrophy. It's like, you need to have that growth. Well, nobody goes into every clinic perfectly calm and low key. You might be with a horse that requires your focus, even as a professional or as an amateur, you know, it is, it, you don't know the rules yet, or you don't understand how supportive it is until you get there. You might've audited that teacher, but until you're in the arena, sometimes it's hard to understand how, how supportive that person's really going to be to really feel that. And so I like this idea of being excited or a little nervous is actually a sign of you're probably in the right place as opposed to, oh, I immediately suck because I'm feeling nervous or excited. That's right. that's a really, you know, healthy thing, yeah. right? It is. Yeah. And if, I mean, if you're going to get good at anything, you have to be, get also good at being uncomfortable, right? <laughs> right? You have to be, you you have know? To get, yeah. You have to be good at yeah. being awful at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're, if you're trying to get good at anything, you have to be 
okay with, um, (laughs) you have to be okay with being uncomfortable, you know, or a little nervous or uh, unsure, whatever. I mean, that's kind of part of it. And then, you know, just like anything else, the more you go and the more you do it, the more confidence you build in yourself that you can, you know, go to these things and, and help your horse through it. And, you know, and, um, and something while you're there. (laughs) I feel that way way about the, um, going to the stock horse shows, you know, because you got those four different events and, um, and, you know, there's no way you can be, I mean, when you start out, you can't be great at all four of them. It's real hard to get good at switching gears and doing those different things and changing your body position. And, you know, it, it's fun to go in there and, and say to yourself, on a young horse I'm just gonna do this like I'm just you know schooling it basically I'm not riding in front of a judge right now all I'm doing is just getting this horse good experience and um and knowing that you're 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 doing it not for the score you're doing it for the long-term haul of the horse you know for it to gain gain experience and knowledge and that horse is probably feeling a lot the way a student can feel when they're being put into a first time situation. And so to be able to, to take some pressure off of yourself and say, Hey, I'm going to go do something that's really outside my comfort zone, but I'm going to do it in a way where I don't set myself up to fail. I do it in a way where I know um, I'm going to make mistakes. The horse is going to make mistakes, but we're going to do it in, in a way where um, we come out a little bit better every time, you know? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's a, a, a good fun thing to, help help the growth of the horse and the rider i was just going to ask you about the stock show so it's funny that you brought that up because i know that you've been competing and rib's been competing and one of the things that you said just kind of struck me is or made me think of this concept was you're going into a show with a horse maybe it's new to the horse and a little new to you as well or like you said you have four different events and you're good at two of them and your horse is good at the other two. So there's going to be some, you know, ups and downs. And as an amateur, let's say, if you can think of it a little bit as you are in the role of being a teacher for your horse or a coach for your horse, I think that might help people a little bit or might might have helped me to disconnect from people are judging me and they're judging how I'm riding my horse. But instead, I want to be supportive to my horse the way I would want a teacher to be supportive to me. So I might be overly eager to praise and exit early or um, drop a class. Or if I really feel like, hey, this horse, he's he's doing well, um, got through something that was a little scary and he's relaxed, you know, he's, he's, he's got, you know, hind leg cocked and he's just chilling in the warm up ring. But when we first came in, he was a dragon. Maybe I'll, I'll just call it good. Right. And praise him for that. And then just school the next day. Or um, one of the things that I got known for it, in, in these local like um, little schooling shows near us, it's called doing a Lynn. So what I would do is I would have a horse that was histrionic. This is usually my thing. It might've been a low horse or, you know, a nervous horse that I'm, I'm helping someone with. And the whole thing would be like, it might just be one horse we took in. And the first day it was a, 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 a jumper show. We didn't jump. We we're going to do poles, right? Pile of poles. The first day we didn't even do anything. We just were in the warm-up ring doing groundwork. And that was exciting enough, believe me. And then the next day we rode in the warm-up ring and we did fine. And then 
we were able to actually walk into the arena, but we told the judge we're going to use our time just to school. Yeah, and exactly. the judge was like, fine, like nobody cares. And because uh, for whatever weird reason, I've kind of gotten known for that. That's like my brand to walk in and out of the show. Right? Like nobody goes, what's wrong with her? It's like, oh, that's what she does. So that was very relaxing to me um, to be able to do that. And then the horse maybe felt that from me. And it's not that I'm so perfectly polished. I maybe take that too far in that direction where I'm like, he walked in, he exhaled, we're done. Like we could actually complete, you know, the, the, the test or whatever. But I'm like, oh, I'm too eager to to stop on that good note immediately. And because I would do that, sometimes people who were in the warm-up ring would be like, oh, it's not a big deal to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if you ever see someone do so, I would start, I start, that was a turning point for me where I started to feel like, hey, I'm actually doing something that really is a benefit. I'm not just quote, chickening out. This horse is so much more relaxed this way. I feel really comfortable doing it. And now I've got um, some juniors asking me why I did that. Or they're really uh, excited to see that I did that. And they're asking me, do you think it'd be okay if I did that with my horse? And I'm like, sure. Like, I'm not your trainer. Talk to your trainer. But I would think that's always appropriate with a young horse. So it can be this mindset like where I want to help my horse out rather than I have to perform perfectly. And that helped me disconnect. Remember, I didn't learn to ride till I was an adult. So it wasn't like I came into, I feel like I'm barely, I feel like I'm basically, I'm 20 years old. That's what it is. Like, I'm, been, I've been, that's what it feels like to me. Like someone's been paying me a little bit finally. So I have this, <laughs> I'm very, very in touch with my inner amateur, right? So that was something that was very helpful to me, you know, whenever I crossed that line. Um, well, I remember uh, it was, Quite a few years ago, but I had this really nice young four-year-old warm blood that belonged to my friend Laura Love in Montana. And he was just the nicest, nicest horse. And um, I took him to his first dressage show and we were north of Denver. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go in and just plot around. You know, I'll ride my test and walk track hanner. And I mean, he was just training level, but I'm just going to go in and just let him like we're not trying to do much of anything. We'll just ride around the ring and let him have a good experience. And, um, and teacher, my current, my, at that time, my dressage teacher was also there showing. So she was watching and I go in and I just like go around and he's quiet as can be. And, um, the judge actually, when I, you know, at the end of the test thanked me for riding such a quiet test, like three people got bucked off that day, uh -huh. at the show, you know, <laughs> and, um, and he ended up getting high point of the day. Wow. He got, she gave him like an 83% or something. Wow. And it's, yeah, you know, because he was just really relaxed because I wasn't like trying to, you know, do anything except for just ride him accurately and and have him have a really good experience his first time um in the show ring and uh you you know my teacher laughed because when I came out of the ring she was like you could have tried a little harder you know and I was like well you know he's four and then when I got high point she was like oh my god you know yeah never mind <laughs> it was a good lesson you know for me too because I was like geez you know maybe I should just be riding all my tests like this you know just like doesn't really matter, you know, what score I get or, or how well I do, as long as I feel like I did a good service to my horse. That's I'm the only one that really knows, right? The the judge doesn't really know what each horse and rider have been through. All they see is what's in front of them, you know? So you're really the only one that 
that really knows if you had a really good experience or successful time, you know, and um, yeah, I'll just never forget that. I was like, oh, look at that. I got high point for not trying. That's a, <laughs> that's a good it's, way it's to so do it. Hard. It's so hard to not try hard. Like that's very, it is. it's so it hard is. to disconnect from that. So yeah. And how yeah. important it is to, to not, um, if you're riding young horses or even troubled ones that have had bad experiences to, to, to be competitive, but not try to squeeze every ounce of effort out of that horse to gather points, because you, you understand that if you're in it for the long haul, that mentality is going to blow it up. You know, it's going to eventually come to a head like a zit and it's just going to blow up. <laughs> and so when you don't treat it that way, you know, and you're just, you're just trying to be there for your horse. It is really awesome how just being consistent and just uh riding clean and accurate like that majority of the time is going to going to give you the extra edge you know above maybe somebody who's really trying to push something and you feel that tension you see that tension and it doesn't ever you know score as well so mm -mm. rather be a little conservative and have it be a great experience for that horse than to really blow it out of the park and then just screw it all up, you know? <laughs> I agree. A couple of years ago, um, horse wise, that's me. Obviously we invested in some really big ribbons, like the giant, like the giant ribbons you would get for being high point, whatever, only in odder colors, like more uh, creative colors. And I bought a bunch of those. And then when I would be at local schooling shows, um, particularly at this one facility near us or 4-H shows, I would kind of have them in my pocket. And if I saw someone doing really good horsemanship, someone who maybe had a nervous horse and they were real slow with their horse, or if they were extra patient, or if I just noticed something in how they did their particular class or whatever, I would go up and I would give them a ribbon. And I would say, hey, this is a horse-wise horsemanship ribbon. I noticed that you did that for your horse. And I could do this particularly with juniors, right? I just want you to know that I, I came here to, to, to look for opportunities like this. And you were amazing with your horse. And it might've been something as simple as just maybe they skipped part of their, their test or they, they did their test, but the horse was really nervous and they, they maybe just slowed down deliberately did something X, Y, or Z to that wouldn't get them a better score, but was good for the horse. Um, and I found that the reaction was incredible to that because no one would is expecting it and then I was it's not like I made a big deal out of it but it's like they're pretty colorful ribbons particularly for the juniors everyone loves a ribbon right a big ribbon and then I could say why I did it specifically not like oh you were cutting corners or anything but like hey look at how nice your horse your horse went out of that ring so quiet and he came in really nervous so kudos to you or whatever and then you know how it is you get kind of busy and I haven't been going to those shows as much and so I haven't done that in a while but I find things like that, part of it is the uh, a culture, a community that supports that approach um, because it can be really, um, and I know your coach, Alicia, your show coach, she would be all about this, right? Where you're creating this culture. Yes, you want to be, you want to help your horse grow and you want to be precise with your horse and the show ring and one day have a good performance. But there's all these steps along the way that are a really important kind of form a building block, a kind of structure, a kind of scaffolding that you're putting around that experience. And part of it is supporting uh, when people make those decisions, which can feel really wrong in the moment, depending on, you know, the environment at the show or 
you know, who might be watching in that moment. Maybe you feel like I shouldn't do this, but your horse is telling you certain things, right? Really great that you thought to do that because I, I do feel like that's, um, it gets a little bit lost in a lot of, um, in, in the showing part that, um, you know, there can be somebody who they feel like they, they won the whole show because they just went and they had a good experience with their horse and made it like a really lovely learning and educational experience for that horse, you know, and, and those, you know, will not get noticed, but, um, but they're just like putting those deposits into the bank, you know, yeah. and just kind of making um, something that eventually is going to be, you know, able to be competitive. And, and, and I do think that that's the fun part about, about taking the time, um, in this day and age too, where everything is, it's like time is money and producing horses and you gotta, you know, try to get them, get them going and then get them sold and make money on them. So you can survive in this world because everything costs so much. Um, you know, that I, I see that with the stress of what that does to certain professionals. And, um, you know, obviously there's going to be some of us that are very poor because, um, <laughs> we don't, <laughs> we're just not willing to go there you know but but I do feel like it 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 is so worth it um just the lifestyle is so worth it to feel good about what you're doing and the horses that are coming out of it and the people that are coming out of it and that sometimes going slow is the best way to do it because then you can put pressure on yourself and things don't don't go to hell you know <laughs> and, it, and it's always such a delightful feeling when your horse tells you that they're ready to do more like if you've had a horse that maybe is greener or is more sensitive or has some baggage, you know, some previous less than ideal experiences in, in the show pen. And you've been taking that slower approach. And then there's that show where the horse lets you know, hey, let's do more. That is the coolest feeling, you know, um, and it's not something that you have to force the horse to do or you have to get the horse. It, it just kind of naturally evolves. Um, and granted, I'm more in the schooling show environment, which is so much more forgiving. Um, but even in the most competitive show circuits, the top horses, they all started green. They all started not knowing. You know, these are the horses that Brooke took around, the best, the ones that got lucky. Someone like Brooke is taking them around. And their first experiences are just getting exposed. So I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves when they go into particularly a, a higher rated circuit. And they're like, I should be like that. And it's like, well, that's a lot of years that you didn't see that horse spooking at everything, or you didn't see, you know, um, you didn't see someone like Brooke riding it around the showgrounds for two years before it ever actually went inside and got into the show pen. So that context I think is, is important to paint for people um, so that they can feel like you got, again, maybe treat your horse with, as if you'd like to be treated, but also kind of treat yourself like a horse. Like I'm kind of green to showing and I'm overreacting and I need to just, you know, go a little slow, be not so hard on myself. I don't know. And, and I think like the commitment to knowing, you know, sometimes we don't know what the steps are. A person doesn't know what the steps are to get to that point so that they can go and, and push the envelope a bit more and things work. And, and I think of that so much with just hauling horses places that, you know, they like to the human, they think, oh, 
well, it's just no big deal. You put that horse in the trailer and you take it down the road and it should act like it does at home. And it's like, you know how that when, when someone's green and it, explaining that to them about that, that's like, it's a big deal for a horse and you got to do it a lot. You got to do it so much so that it just becomes part of your, you know, your being of being able to go places and adapt to these situations. And, and then at, at home, being able to put a little more pressure on yourself, like, and I don't, when I say pressure, not, not in a negative way, but just asking more things of yourself and your horse so that then when you go these other places, you're more prepared for what's about to take place, you know? So for sure. When Brooke was in town last in, in Texas, I rode my older horse with her and I, I was like, oh, this is exciting. Cause I don't think I rode with you the previous time, maybe just on, a, I was on a little green horse, but we were just doing basic stuff. And so I was kind of riding him still like he was a little bit green and you were having me gather him a little differently and ride a little more one reined, And it was like, oh, this is really fun. And what I felt like you were saying, Brooke, is like, you can go ahead and and go up a notch now because you really have gotten this other. And I was just like, oh, light bulb. Like, I really didn't yeah. quite see that. But time to go I to the had, next step. Yeah. yeah, time to go to the next level. And so I'm so used to like staying a little bit like, again, some of the horses I ride are a little more nervous or neurotic. And um, so that's really cool, too, is to recognize that sometimes the push is very positive. Mm -hmm. It's not a negative thing. It's not going to be. I was just like, oh, how cool. Right. And, and then the horse is like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Like, he's like, I'm going to lift my back and I'm going to do all these cool little things. I'm ready for this. And it was like, oh, I didn't think to ask. Right. So if I had been really shy about riding with Brooke, you know, like maybe I'll look bad or, um, you know, find out that I really should work at a grocery store. This comes up a lot with me. Like I should stop this line of work and just work in a grocery store then I would not have had that experience. And I knew Brooke was supportive that I wasn't actually super worried about that. But a few years ago, I might've been more worried about that. Or if I didn't know you, I feel like I've gotten to, I had gotten to know you pretty well by then too. I know your teaching style, like you said, picking the people who, who teach in this way is very helpful. Um, and I mean, I, I really enjoyed that. Right. So that push was good. It was fun. It didn't feel like, Oh my God, I'm going to die at all. So. Yeah, a lot of the times you go and you sometimes you are surprised at how capable your horse is of doing, you know, you're all nervous, like, are they going to be able to, you know, handle right. the situation and handle these new things? And then you're like, wow, you know, like you end up being surprised in a really good way, like just how capable they are of handling these new situations and, and new things. And um, that kind of opens opens some doors too you know and opens your mind maybe a little bit more about what you can be doing or it, you know you don't have to be so nervous about <laughs> no or yeah that you haven't realized how well you have prepared your horse yeah. like I think you know in in this culture being humble is really important it is a very important part of the philosophy and you can be in that mindset and not realize, hey, your horse has really progressed. You haven't realized it because you've been kind of in that mindset where I just want to make sure he's okay. And then you realize, oh, he's more than okay. Like I'm holding him back. It's time to get to the next step. And that can be a really fun validation, realizing that um, you you have been doing the right things and your horse has been really responding 
you just hadn't realized it. You know, it's like if you uh, if you're around a horse and you never every day you see that horse and then someone new comes to the farm and said, points out something about your horse. Oh, he's tight on the side. And like he is and you because you see him every day. Right. So that can go in the positive direction where every day you're doing these very important basic things, these fundamentals. You're staying humble. You're staying focused on what the horse needs. And you don't realize how far you've come until you go to a new situation and it highlights the positive. It's not mm -hmm. always negative. But if you never push, you never find out where you really are. And then you might end up accidentally holding your horse back, right? Because you didn't know. Definitely. Right. And that's, I've kind of witnessed that too with the, um, you know, how we're, we're all, we're all trying to always be such good students for the horse and really understand, you know, like the mechanics of how to do certain exercises so that when the horse needs it, we can be there for them and execute it in a proper way that makes them feel better. But, and, and I'm guilty of this, that for a lot of years, um, I would ride a troubled horse maybe, and I would feel the tension build in the horse. So maybe I'd go to that short serpentine because I'm like, I need this to survive, right? And you get them rolling through that and then you can feel them relax and you go out of it. And then maybe another day comes along and you feel that same thing again. And, but instead of trusting that you did the short serpentine so that it helped you get to the next step where you don't necessarily maybe need that right then, and you do an exercise where you're staying more straight and just utilizing the energy. And, um, and that can be a tricky thing, can it? Because sometimes you can, you can quick pull the plug and just go to like a short serpentine when you don't maybe necessarily need that anymore you know and it's mm -hmm. learning how to apply it and when to apply it and then also to trust yourself that you did the work and now you're allowed to you know maybe ride a little shoulder in or whatever you know um yeah. so it's just a, a fun challenge and I guess experience is what gets you there you know <laughs> yeah I, I remember did. go ahead Oh, in the, in the cult class a couple of years ago with Kip, him telling me to quit having such a happy trigger finger, like quit pulling the trigger so quickly, you know, cause the cult I was on was just nervous of the other horses and she kept scooting out and scooting out. And, you know, I kept bending her cause she was, you know, not taking off, but scooting away. And he's like, quit, quit, you know, just let her top out. And I was like, okay, you know? And sure, I mean, he was totally right. She just scoot, kind of tap out and come right back down on her own, you know, and I didn't need to do, that was my insecurity, right? On a colt that was nervous. And instead of just letting her kind of experience it, I kept just shutting her down too much, you know? And yeah, it's interesting sometimes, um, you know, all those good tools that we're given that we do need and they do have their place there's these tools that we need and we need to use them to be safe. And then there's that moment where, Hey, it's more appropriate to go straight and having the eyes on the ground can really help in that moment. Right. Because you could predispose, I think predisposing to safety isn't a bad thing, but sometimes the horse needs exactly the opposite. And that's that feel thing that is so difficult. Like there is this whole trust element where a horse will kind of be on that line maybe and you're like do I trust that horse or do I shut that horse down and I'm probably more inclined to have a, a happy trigger figure finger too but I've had those experiences where I've been like I'm gonna 
I'm going to go with this. And it's turned out really well. Like It's like the horse is like, oh, you believed in me in that moment appropriately. Nice. And that will boost that horse's confidence in ways that is unanticipated. Yet on the surface, you wouldn't say to anybody, yeah, sometimes you just sort of go for it. Like you have to have that feel and understanding or you have to have eyes on the ground that that you trust a person who says, hey, it is time to mm -hmm. to do that. So if some random spectator had shouted that out to you, Brooke, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not listening to that. That's not appropriate. <laughs> One of my first experiences with this, and this is really more amateur level, but it's when I opened the Racehorse Adoption Ranch and we had a horse who, uh, well, he was quite a character and he got adopted and he came back and he was sort of large and feral and he kind of had that temperament. I think all horses are intelligent but he kind of had that temperament of a bovine with a split personality. So he'd kind of be going along and then he'd be like, oh, oh my gosh. And he would then just kind of be all, you know, disorganized and alert. And I didn't start colds. I, I, I wasn't sure how to deal with this. The person who'd adopted him had told me she was a cult starter and she returned him because she said he was too nervous to ride. So at that phase, we were, we couldn't afford trainers. Here he is sitting in my pasture. And so I started groundworking him thinking, well, I will prepare him. Maybe we could figure out a way to pay a trainer. And, um, but let me at least find out where he's at. So I was working with him and it was sort of like late afternoon when I started working with him and I put him through all the motions, all the things I knew to do at the time. Right. So I did a little groundwork, which was painfully awful looking back now, but it was what I knew to do then and kind of yielded his hindquarters. And then I, I saddled him and he took that well. And then I moved him around in the round pen and he moved all three, you know, walk track canner. And he's kind of looking at me and I'm like, dang it. Like, all right. I, I mean, why couldn't she get on him? He's always been erratic. I definitely shouldn't get on him. Definitely should not get on him. And then he just looked at me and this sounds so, um, this sounds so ridiculous or new age. But he looked at me and I was like, this horse is ready for someone to step on him. I need to at least put my foot in the stirrup. I can put my foot in the stirrup and I can hop up and down and I can get out of trouble. If, but he needs me. I could tell he was kind of like, he was What's in that? that weird receptive frame of mind. And I'm like, all right. And so I hop up and down and he just kind of looks at me and I'm like, go to the other side, hop up and down. And that stirrup just kind of looks at me. And I go to the left side again and I hop up and down and he yawns and I'm like, dang it. And I get on him because he was ready, you know, and I'm in my head. There's like split personality. One side is like, what are you doing? You're so crazy. The other side is like, he's ready. You got to get on him or nothing. He's not going to be ready like this again. You can't guarantee it. And we walked around, you know, I think I just had the halter and lead rope. I didn't even know how to flip it properly. I'm just like kind of all over the place. And we walked around and he was really softening in the way I understood that term at that time. Again, now I'm sure I would be like, oh my gosh, that was so tight. But it, for him, it was good. And for me, it was good. And I'm just sort of engrossed and I'm not paying attention and it's getting darker. And I see light and I look up and my husband's coming down the driveway. He was coming home from work and it was dark enough that the headlights were bright. And I'm like, I've been riding this horse who was like supposedly impossible to sit on returned because the cold starter who had him couldn't get on him in the near dark. And I was so engrossed in what I was feeling that I didn't even notice all those things. And I'm like, and now I will get off because let's not push it. 
And then he ended up getting adopted a couple weeks later to experience. Now I didn't, I didn't, I didn't uh, give him a good start. I didn't really start him. I didn't do anything. I was such a, I was so rudimentary, but I was correct about that. He was for whatever reason in that moment, as much as I detested it, he was ready and it would have been a disservice not to get on him. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many times Brooke and I have had this conversation with, you know, we'll have phone calls that somebody maybe will call us and say, we've got this horse and it's really troubled and it's really dangerous and it's really this or that or all these things. Right. And, um, and I think maybe one of the coolest things about the style, learning the style of horsemanship is that what you start to find and what Brooke and I often talk about is that they may be a few of those things, a few of those words, but they really don't want to be that way. And it's just that pattern of however they've been handled, they've learned how to be um, very defensive, you know, and um, when you come to them and you don't have that defensiveness and you don't have that anger and tension or all those things, you know, because you're unsure of what you're doing and you just come to the horse with like a totally different level of, of this is what we're going to do. And they don't display any of that stuff. And, um, that's always so amazing to me, you know, and, and even teaching a lot of the clinics with Melanie. Um, I mean, there's been some really tricky, tough ones, but, um, but what they could do under saddle with that horse was, was really remarkable, you know, but then some of the things on the ground, they, they were just those missing holes. Cause that person never knew how to approach it. Mm-hmm. And, or, or if they had approached it, they had did, done it in a little bit of a way where they were fearful. So they caused the horse to be fearful. And I just think that horse, it blows my mind every time when, when something like that happens and they're not at all the words that the person's been saying about them, you know, and it's just, it gives you a lot of hope to be like, okay, you know, because sometimes I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but I'll, I'll feel like, you know, well, I probably don't have much to, you know, help that particular person with. And then you'll see something like that and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I should keep helping maybe because there's a little yeah. something I can help them with, you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Keeps you going. <laughs> for sure. For sure. It is, it is interesting. Um, I think just getting back to the original topic, which this is all related to how it does really help to either be able to ride more than one horse or to be able to watch really good professionals working with multiple horses, whether you audit clinics. I, I always got a lot of watching really high quality cold starting clinics with high quality riders and horsemen and horsewomen, because you could see how the horses were responding, at least I could, you could see that the horses were responding so differently than what, what you might expect. And um, the first clinic I ever hosted, because I was a total idiot, was a Ray Hunt clinic. I was like, is this hard? Yes. So I hosted that clinic and I watched Colt. St- I actually was in the Colt starting clinic on a horse that had been, he had 60 days at the show. He was very quiet very quiet but to see some of these horses some horses came in that weren't halter broke and they were really scared and to see how quickly they were able to make that change because of the quality of the handling and the quality of the direction of the teaching was uh very impressive and it also just changed my perspective it's one thing to see those things on video it's still so much you still have to see some things in person 
to you can really get that it's it's almost like a atmospheric electromagnetic magnetic uh, feel from the horse that you feel them changing even from the side of the arena watching versus sometimes on videos it's only able to capture so much and that's where this approach this structure this philosophy is really what helps i think people who are maybe new to showing or new to clinics it helps them understand that there is a, a a form of order to what we're teaching these horses. And if we approach things, not in an engineering way, but with really good, um, you know, sincere understanding of, of, of movements, how to help them, and that we want to learn how to do this better, almost all the time, the horses will more than meet you halfway, unless you have a horse that is so, has been very badly mishandled, or they're so incredibly green that they don't have it, they need someone, you know, at the next level. It's just, it's remarkable to me how much the horses will try to fill in. Um, yet you can't be completely like, oh, I just kind of walked in and I thought it would all be okay. Like you have to focus, you have to bring your part to the table, so to speak. Um, and it's very important to do that, to be, um, you know, again, sincere and apply yourself, I feel like. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I've noticed that just going to the different clinics over the years too. Cause like some of the teachers, um, are very format, you know, they have like a really strong format. So like they keep you busy the entire mm -hmm. time with specific things to work on. And, um, and then there's some teachers who are kind of more like, you know, you, you know, we'll work on some things, but really everybody's just kind of doing their thing and they're just kind of helping everyone. And both are, both are good. But I do notice like at the ones that the format is like a little less, a little looser, a little freer that, you know, um, you only get out of it what you put into it. I mean, it's, it's the same, I guess, a little bit with the other ones, except for that you're like really being told to do this for like a half hour straight. So you have to work at it and work at it and work at it, you know? And when, when the structure is like a little, a little less format, you know, sometimes I'll look around and see people like, just like, you know, <laughs> you know, like they don't know what to do, you know, or how to stay engaged and, you know, so it's just been, I don't know. I just think it's interesting, you know, in the last couple of years, really just like all the different styles and types and, um, and like what levels of riders seem to do better and what format. And yeah, it's just interesting, you know, to, to see, I'm sure you've seen it too, Alicia, you know, and, um, I do kind of think that like, um, when you are nervous or your horse is nervous that the format does help kind of, I think, you know, quite a bit, um, because it just, the people need job to do more, almost more than the horse does. You know what I mean? Like you, the, the person you got to give them a job to do too, and keep them busy more so than the horse, just so that they stay relaxed and focused and, um, you know, and then that in turn, in turn helps the, the horse do the same. But yeah, I think, I think that's interesting. Those what, you know, and, and you might go, you know, take private lessons or you might ride in this clinic or that clinic, and you might find that one works better for you than another, you know? 
I, and I can actually think about certain horses that I'm working with where I'm like, oh man, I'd really like to take this horse to that particular, you know, clinic because, um, I need some of that in this horse right now, you know, or, um, that horse needs to go to this particular one, you know, because, and you know, all the people have, um, you know, a lot of really great things to offer, but then your experience level gets you to the point of knowing which one would benefit that horse the most, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and sometimes um, I, I like being able to take one that's a little bit younger and go, okay, now I'm going to go to this one where there's a lot less structure because I know when I get there, I kind of need to get my act together and get things lined out and working and have a little bit of pressure on me that way to just put it together, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I do think that that's interesting and, and how lucky we all are that there's a, a lot of great people traveling around the country that you can get a very, uh, very different approaches, you know, all similar content, but really mm -hmm. different approaches to the way that they teach and interact with people and horses. Yeah. And they both, I mean, it's all beneficial for sure. You know, sometimes they, they need the structure and the 30 other horses in the ring, you know, and then sometimes it's with those young horses, the less structured ones, because you get to just go sit in the corner for 15 minutes if you need to and let them, you know, have them have some rest time and, you know, and then you can be busy when you need to and, and not busy when you don't need to. And, you know, there's it's all really super beneficial you know, for, for all of them. But yeah, I agree with Alicia. Like you get to the point where you kind of know, like what maybe would help each individual horse the most at this point in their, uh, where they're at in their education, you know, which format yes. like right. to do. And, and knowing like how your, how your student might learn and where they're at with their horse. And you say, okay, you know, you, you, you could go do that one and it's not going to be a waste of money but you're going to get more bang for your buck if you go to that particular one, because you're going to get all these different situations that you're totally ready for. And you need that push, you know, and you need that experience to kind of grow you and, and get you the most for what you're going to be spending, you know, that weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah it could even be a class too. Like you go into this class for this clinic versus just, you know, the, 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 the most elementary one or yeah, do the cow work, whatever makes sense. Um, I, it took me a long time to figure this out because I'm not from a uh, stock or cattle background. I grew up in suburbs, you know, Washington, D.C. But I remember one of the times I was riding one of those big clinics, right? And I realized that what the teacher was doing, although I didn't have the sophistication to tell you exactly step by step how, but what the teacher was doing, because he was a stockman, is he was having us work as a unit as if we were all a rodeer or Bermuda he was also seeing each individual within that herd, just like you would out on a huge ranch with a big group of cattle. So you see the whole group as a unit, and that has to move in unison. But then you see the individuals on the edge there, or the middle that might need a little more. And I was like, wow, how do you even have the brain to do that? I had such uh, admiration. And I couldn't tell you exactly because I didn't have enough knowledge. Um, and of course, when sometimes when you're in the clinic, all you can do is just try to keep up with the commands. But I realized that we were flowing as a unit, even though it might not seem that way, but that was how he was seeing it. And I was like, that is so cool. And yeah. it was right for that particular group. And there's always uh, outliers in the group. There are some that 
uh, need a lot more support. And some, you know, maybe they're being ridden by folks like you who don't really need as much management and you can kind of trust them as the clinician, you can trust them to, to, to be in the right place at the right time with the horses that they have. So that's why I like auditing a lot because I can see that better than when I'm in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, actually trying to ride and concentrate and everything. It's just an interesting to do both, to ride and to audit where you can kind of start to get a sense of those. And then you can watch the horses as a unit and as individuals when you're auditing, which is really fun, I think. Auditing is always good. Yeah. Cause you do get, you do get the, a view of, um, you know, all the different horses and riders and, and the changes and the, in the issues and the, you know, you get to see all that. Cause you're right. When you're riding, a lot of the times you're concentrate. I know back when I was like, would get really nervous going to clinics and stuff. Like if you asked me who else rode in the clinic, I might be able to name like two people, <laughs> but I was, not, you know what I mean? Like didn't even look around. Um, cause I was just so like, you know, focused on what I was doing and, and trying to, you know, be okay. But yeah, it auditing's always good. And I always think it's good too, to go audit before you go ride, you know, with, um, somebody, just so you kind of have an idea of what what you're kind of getting into or if you're going to if that's what you're interested in. And same with trainers. I always tell people that, too. Like if you're going to send your horse somewhere for training and you don't know this person, like go watch him ride, you know, or yeah. go spend a little time with them or watch them teach some lessons or something like don't just drop your horse off and, you know, wave on your way out, you know, like go check it out and make sure you're everybody's on the same page, you know? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, and you don't have to, you don't have to walk into any situation totally cold. You know, you that can be part of your preparation is to audit and then understand what everybody's different approaches is. And then you can go, I think this would be the best one for us. And now you're already starting to take that ownership a little bit and, and then instead of like, oh, I hope I do well, be like, oh, I think this one's the best one for my horse. And it's always great if you already have a trainer who is able to guide you well or who's, you know, very philosophical. That helps a lot, too. So, you guys, I'm thinking we could wrap it up now because we've been talking again like an hour. It just goes really fast. And I know that you both have a lot going on at home, you know, with holidays coming and horses and puppies and all kinds of things. So I would just want to hear real quick what your last thoughts might be on this topic based on our discussion of just how to kind of help people who might be feeling concerned or always feel a little tension about trying something new or riding in a clinic, you know, how to, how to help the horse so that they don't feel that tension from you. I feel like there's, there's no better time to just start feeling uncomfortable than right now. <laughs> If you're in horses, you just need to get good at feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a yeah. skill. It's a skill. Yeah. <laughs> and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations a lot. And then recognizing that even if if you're the professional or you're the amateur starting out, that um that even us that do this for a living, we consistently put ourselves in very uncomfortable situations to keep growing, you know, so it, it never stops, you know, that, that I think you, you have to be really okay with being like, it's, it's all right. This, this is going to feel 
really weird and probably not great when I do this thing, but there's no time um, to get started better than right now. Like you, you know, you just got to be okay with it and being, you know, putting yourself out there and saying, I'm going to try something that, you know, in a way where I'm safe with help. And if, if you need it, um, mm-hmm. but, but to keep pushing yourself, because if you don't, if you don't, you're not going to grow, you know, and you're going to stay stagnant. And, um, and that's almost a more uncomfortable feeling. I think when you know, you're not growing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to remember that, you know, you're, yeah, you're going there to learn and Alicia's right. That, that feeling of being maybe a little nervous or anxious or uncomfortable, it never totally goes away because if you are always pushing yourself, you know, grow, then you're, you're always going to be putting yourself in those situations where you feel like that. So you might as well just be okay with it. And and just remind yourself how worth it it's all going to be because you're going to gain all this experience. You're going to learn new skills. You're going to invest, especially at clinics, you know, where you invest a good amount of time in a, in a few days with your horse and you meet a lot of like-minded people who, you know, are also going to be a support system for you. And, you know, it's, it's all worth it. And, um, you know, to tell somebody not to be nervous, just doesn't work, you know, (laughs) and, and it, but so it's okay. It's okay to be nervous. Just don't let it stop you from, you know, um, don't let it stop you from doing your thing. I agree. And I think there's this kind of idea too, that it's never too late to become who you might've been, you know, whatever that stretch is, if you've already, done a lot of things that you wanted to with horses, you can stretch in another way. Or if you feel like, oh, I could never develop a bridal horse, or I could never go to a clinic with this particular teacher, that person's too famous, or I'm not good enough. You know, that's really not true. And my lifelong ambition is I have this whole vision. So I'm 102. And uh, the last day of my life, I finally figure something out. I'm working with a horse on the ground and I go, oh, I've been so stupid. I finally got that. And then I dropped dead. Like that's my, that's my vision. And I'm actually the last thing is that the very last day of my life, I'm going to be really old and I'm going to be like, oh, I finally figured that out. So, cause I'm continuing to push. And that, that horse might be a really little horse. And he might be a little bit of a senior horse. And I, I think that's just like a really fun thing to look forward to, that it's always going to be a little uncomfortable. And if I'm doing it right, I'm going to look back on the last two years and go, oh, I was so stupid. Like, oh, I finally figured something out. So I think that's kind of a fun way to look at it. So, well, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this. As always, I took a lot of notes and I always learned so much from both of you. And I'm excited that you guys want to do maybe once a month podcast. It'd be really fun. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. Thank you so much, Lynn, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'd like to thank Brooke and Alicia and all of the puppies who were involved in the making of this interview. I really appreciated having them on the podcast for this Christmas Eve episode. And I really look forward to talking with them regularly here on the podcast in 2024. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year.